She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We just need to call it for what it is. And the Dems are looking at this as a political fight. They're trying to win the shutdown fight politically. Uh, and they're not really getting at what's the best for America's national security. And if they did, talking about what's moral, what's just, what's most consistent with the oath that they take is that they would be negotiating and compromising in good faith. He needs to keep articulating it, make the case to the public this evening, and uh, we need to get something done on the border. $25 billion was what most Democrats right. agreed to very recently, and we're asking for a little over five. I hope that the president will take a different path. That remains to be seen, but he can expect a strong and swift challenge from all of us and other members of Congress and from the American people. He said, fine, no wall, fence, steel slat, whatever. If we all agree we have to secure the border and we funded it in the past, let's fund it again and move forward. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the show. I'm, I'm just, I'm still in the state of shock that the president is going to give an address this evening and the Democrats are going to actually rebut it. Welcome to Stacy on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. You know, um, I, I'm, I understand the Democrats have something they want, and that is open borders and lawlessness. I just don't understand how they don't think that it's ever going to come back and bite them, that they're not eventually going to have their repercussions run up behind them and overtake them. Um, evil will chase you down, and it bites its own. So it's, it's interesting to see them advocating for things that will leave the people they claim to represent in dangerous, precarious positions. Uh, today on the program, we have fantastic guests for you. We're going to speak to Quinn Hillier, senior commentary writer for the Washington Examiner. He'll be up in the next segment. We're also going to hear some audio from the vice president. Uh, we're going to be talking about preborn again today. We are so excited about partnering with preborn. Please give a call to 877 616-2396. And what you'll find there is a person who's going to help you through the process of donating to preborn so that we can get ultrasounds for free to women who are abortion minded. And this ultrasound allows the mom to not only hear the baby's heartbeat, but to see the precious life there inside her, the, the baby that's growing, not a lump of cells, not something that needs to be evacuated, but a baby. And this is free of charge to her. 100% of your donation goes to preborn. And we're looking for $28 or for those who have more that they're willing to, to go with us and partner with us, 140 which provides five free ultrasounds. So 28 for one or $140 for five. And we're so excited about this opportunity. We have a chance to save up to 2,000 babies. We're about 20% there and we need you to get over the hump. So please call in to 877-616-2396. 877-616-2396 or hit AFR.net. That's my favorite way to give. Just click through and you'll be done in moments. And then you can check that off your list and go on about your day. So thank you for being here today. Um, in addition to that, we're going to hit some topics. I have some. So there is no bad Ann Coulter audio, I think. Even when she says stuff I disagree with, she's got, uh, you know, the facts and everything to back up her position. And she talks about how the president has to declare the wall a compassionate solution. We're going to hear that in the third segment. We'll take your calls then as well. And I found a piece by, um, I think it's John Nolte, where he talks about the seven things that should make the Oval Office address, seven points that should be in the address. 
I'm concerned that, um, you know, how the Bible says you toss your pearls before swine and, you know, it, it it's basically, it's a waste. It's a, it's a symbolic way of talking about waste. There's also the seed that gets tossed into the hard ground and it, the sun, bl- the wind blows it away and the sun withers it down. And so it doesn't take root. And I, my, my concern has been that there's too many people in America after a steady diet of CNN who are unable to hear the truth. So no matter what the president says, they're unable to hear it. They're only going to wait for the Democrats rebuttal. But it occurs to me that if we look at the polls over the years, over and over and over again, Americans have just been clear. It's always an overwhelming majority of people who want to see common sense immigration proposals. Now, people differ on how to get it done, but when they're asked by a solid pollster that doesn't have an agenda, what they think about legal and illegal immigration, Americans are always the same. And black Americans have been drug along and used as a cudgel to try to beat down any well thought out, honest opposition to open borders. Um, blacks are always said, well, we, we need to, as black people, we need to be in line with other minorities and especially illegals as if there's something illegal about being born with a permanent tan. There isn't. God doesn't make any mistakes when it comes to his creation. So there's, there's no, well, the black people have to side with the illegals. There's nothing inherently wrong with being black. And the fact that so many millions of blacks in America have bought into this is purely a function of people not being wise enough to understand when they're being duped. And wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. And if people are just watching CNN and never cracking open their Bibles, because I know it's, it's really in vogue now to say which megachurch you go to and who your pastor is. And therefore, just by sitting in the pews under him, you're supposed to be wise and definitely an extra, extra super special Christian. When the reality is we're all sinners saved by grace, the sum of us, and Ones that are actually in their word, cracking it open, not just reading one little scripture here or there, but daily delving into God's word, seeking and combing the scriptures for the wisdom that comes from there, praying to God, repenting for sins and repeating that process again and again and again so that we can be sanctified and transformed into his image. Unless that's going on, then you are susceptible to having the truth stolen away from you before you can get it and only being fed a steady stream of lies. And so we know that that's what's going to happen tonight. I just popped over to Mediaite earlier this morning. I was getting ready for the show, going about doing some things. And I I said, you know, I haven't been to Mediaite in a couple of weeks. Every story over there, save one, is about how the president is lying about the border, how no terrorists have been apprehended, and how, you know, all, all of the Trump administration is just full to the brim with people who want to have lies about the illegal immigrants so that they can't come in here when they really deserve to be here because they're just people seeking a better life. None of the issues and concerns that most of us are are really upset about, the fact that there's disease coming into the country that we've previously eradicated and are no longer being vaccinated for, that there are strange diseases now popping up in our country that have never been seen here before. We don't have vaccinations for them because they're not indigenous to our population group or our land. We don't have a way of knowing what we're dealing with unless we just go through the trial and error. We also have 10% of all of our drunk driving deaths due to illegals. We have a huge portion of our prison population are illegal immigrants. We're paying to feed them and house them and buff them up on, uh, you know, uh, weights, lifting weights in their workout programs. We're paying for them to get their GEDs and some of them, you know, bachelor's degrees in, in, in prison. And this low wage workforce is undercutting 
those who really need a leg up in this country. Remember, the president proposed that we take the money that we're currently spending on programs to help illegal immigrants become legal and pour that money back into inner city schools to give inner city kids a leg up out of these poverty ridden situations because inner city black Americans are American citizens and they deserve any money that's going to be given out in programs should go to individuals in this in this country who are at the bottom of the rung or we should reduce the tax burden and give that money back to the people who are working for the money. But there is, there's no place in that scenario where we should say, let's allocate more money to helping people who've initially broken the uh, United States immigration law by coming here illegally to help them stay here. Another interesting fact before I get to uh, our daily confession today I, that I, I got to get out there is that if you hearken back to Reagan's amnesty, just cast your mind back. And if you're young and you're listening to the show, God bless you. I love that youthful thing you've got going on. But you can still learn about this too. If you're older, you remember. If you, if you were any form of young adult on up, it was the biggest deal anywhere in America that President Reagan gave the Democrats some amnesty for what was supposed to be around 3 million illegal aliens, which at the time was a huge number. Those illegal aliens were given amnesty, and then through chain migration, another 9 million of their family members received amnesty. In addition to that, people who came to this country illegally after that decision was made applied to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals because they said they didn't have a chance to apply for amnesty when it was given out because they weren't in the country illegally at that time. So they've come late, and they still want their opportunity. And the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals granted those individuals amnesty as well. We don't actually have a concrete figure that we can get from the government on how many people were able to, through that Ronald Reagan amnesty, become American citizens. But I can tell you, it's a draw for everyone else. And it's the reason why it keeps getting stuck in my craw. You've heard me say on the show, I'm going to own up to it. You've heard me say on the show over and over again that I don't want any amnesty, but I'd be willing to, as the president said, do, do the DACA, you know, give the DACA recipients something lawful so that they can get off our backs so we can move past this and end chain migration and have the wall. Well, here's the problem. The problem is that any amnesty that you give, you can't actually put a quantifiable stop on it because the courts will give more. If you set the precedent that you're giving some amnesty to this group, you don't really have a good reason not to give it to other people who come afterwards who say they're in the same boat. They just weren't here in time originally. This is wrong and it hurts America. It hurts Americans and it hurts our wallets. It's hurting the hearts of Americans who've lost their children, their wives, their husbands, their sons. Every week, we have one or two news stories of illegal aliens killing people. So also, while we're here on the show today, and I, I've got so much for you, I'm, we're also going to talk about um, Chuck Norris's article about the incredible solution to building the border wall, and it's the El Chapo Act, and that was introduced by uh, Senator Ted Cruz, a man of brilliance who we are blessed to have in our country and we should hear more from. And then I, I'm hoping we can get to it. Email providers suppressing Republicans in the 2018 election. This is a huge story. I don't want it to get lost, and I might save it over for tomorrow or the next day because I know the big story today is immigration and the president's address, and we're going to hit that as well. Uh, so right now I want to go to – it's Psalm 37. Now, look, y'all, I'm in the Psalms, obviously, um, because I'm in BSF, and I've been getting a lot 
from it a lot. I mean, I've been blessed greatly through the connections that the BSF leaders are putting. They're connecting up the the story of David, obviously, to the Psalms that he wrote and the way that he viewed problems in comparison to the way that we view them. And you and I know, I mean, you're, you're here with me, you're alive, you're walking, you're warm-blooded, you're an American, you probably see problems and you think, you kind of compartmentalize them and say, okay, if I do this, this, and this, I can tackle this problem. And David just wasn't that guy. Any problem he had, no matter what it was, he took it to God. He also was diligent about asking God, what should I do? Do I go this way or do I go that way? Should I go down? Should I stay here? And God always answered him. Now, this in, in our 24 hour a day news cycle, screens everywhere, you know, all the things that impact us and we feel like we can't hear from God. We can. That is what the Psalms tell us because God is not different now than he was back then when he used to tell David exactly the answers to all of his problems. And the other thing that I, I want to point out before I share some of this Psalm with you is that, again, I want to reiterate because this is something that I'm getting from this that I think is so valuable for us. And that is even when you're in the right and you've been behaving uprightly, you, you have put your best foot forward, you have served, this could be a work situation, it could be a marital situation, relationships, anything. In any case, you as a person can be in the right and completely right in a situation and still be mistreated, maligned, slandered, and in David's case, hunted like a beast. He was literally hunted for years and years and years by Saul. He was the preordained successor to the king and he was upright and, and right before God, absolutely without fault in his dealings with Saul. And Saul still persecuted him. The reason I'm pointing that out is because we often think, well, I've, I've, I've dotted every I, I've crossed every T, I've prayed, I'm in Bible study, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. Why is this happening to me? I don't know the answer to why, except to say that in all of these situations, we are to rely on God. So this is what I want to give to you today. It's This is a fantastic psalm. It's Psalm 37. Please read it today at some point, maybe after dinner or before bed or whenever you have a chance to whip it out. Use your phone. If you don't have the YouVersion Bible app, you got to get that thing. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Read that today and be encouraged. We'll be right back with Quinn Hillier after this. I told him that and he was just like, well, you gonna have an abortion? I was like, okay, yeah. I don't want kids either. And so Ms. Jackie was like, well, would you like an ultrasound? And I was like, Sure, whatever. And so she turned on the sound and my baby had a heartbeat. We don't talk anymore. I lost my best friend. (laughs) But I gained a new best friend, so I'm totally okay with that. The Ministry of Preborn supports young moms in crisis with love and support and free ultrasounds. Because when a woman sees her baby on ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. To donate, dial 877-616-2396 or visit AFR.net. 
Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with A Legacy Moment. I love the story of Joseph Parker. Joseph Parker was a preacher in 19th century England. When he first arrived in London, he was a little bit intimidated because he was a contemporary of the great British preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He arranged a meeting with Spurgeon and showed up at his office. Young Parker said to Spurgeon, the great orator, I'm not an educated man. Well, as the story goes, Spurgeon stopped him and said, Look, God has many ways of preparing his servants. The rest is history. Out of that meeting, Parker left with great encouragement, and he went on to become, in his own right, one of the greatest preachers of the 19th century. See, God puts a premium on availability. He loves taking people with open, teachable hearts and pouring into them exactly what they need to know and the experiences they need in order to accomplish what he places before them. Listen to these words in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Notice, they were astonished. But what made them marvel like that? Despite the fact that they were untrained and uneducated, they said that they had been with Jesus. I want to balance this by saying God does want us to develop our minds, and if he opens doors for education, we need to pursue it. Ah, but formal education is not God. Here's what I want you to remember today. Take courage. God will give you everything you need in order to do what he's called you to do. The question is, like Peter and John, and like Joseph Parker, are you willing to make yourself totally and completely available to him? More information about the ministry of Crawford Lorenz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here today. And thank you for partnering with us on Mission Preborn. If you need that number again, first, AFR.net. So easy for you to get there. Um, on your smartphone, a few clicks and you're done. $28 gets one ultrasound to a mom who is abortion-minded and helps her to hear the gospel. But you can also... Just go, go to your phone. You t type it into your phone, 877-616-2396, 877-616-2396. And then you get to talk to one of our fantastic volunteers, and they'll help you through the process. So partner with us. It's Mission Preborn Week, and we are excited about doing this. So right now, it's my pleasure to welcome senior commentary writer at the Washington Examiner. It's Quinn Hillier. Quinn, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me on, Stacey. Hey, you know what? I'm excited to talk to you. Um, you and I have, uh, you know, we often just communicate online or I read your thoughts and comments online. And so this is important because you've written a piece about the worst American politics since the Civil War. And I couldn't agree with you more, but I'm wondering what what do we do? Like, what do we do to fix a situation like that? Well, I'm actually about to start a column uh, to uh, to try to start answering that question, uh, but uh, but there is no short version as to how to fix it, other than for everybody to behave better and more like adults, uh, mm. which of course is 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 a lot easier said than done. But uh, but for some specific, I I I, I think you've got to start with uh, with people on Capitol Hill actually working with 
and talking with and listening to each other and just making collective or, or a whole bunch of individual decisions, but doing it sort of collectively, that that they are going to first think of legislating for the general good of the country rather than for political effect. Mm. And again, that's a bunch of platitudes, but it's more than platitudes. It's it's actually attitudes, not just platitudes. And and it requires hard work and action. And I don't want to filibuster, so I'll stop there. But that's okay. <laughs> well, so I agree with you on the hard work and action. This is not easy because it, I liken it to. Um, you know, being in some kind of social group, whether it's a book club or, you know, a club for maybe you like fixing cars, whatever. And you have somebody in that group that for whatever reason, it's body chemistry, it's whatever, you and that person don't get along. And over time, that not being able to get along can fester into full-blown hatred that can mean that one of the two parties needs to leave the group or it can ruin the dynamics for everyone else. And the kind of relationship that I'm discussing here is President Trump. He's been elected to the presidency. A lot of people are unhappy about it, but a lot of us were unhappy when Obama was elected. We know we know how this feels. But the difference is we we've gone from we're going to negotiate on the on let's say wall funding, right, Quinn? Let's let's negotiate on wall funding. The Democrats are now saying, no, you can't have a dollar for your wall. So it's not about a wall that they've voted to fund many, many times. It's about Donald Trump and vanquishing him, beating him, holding him at bay until they can impeach him and get him out of office. This is a different, like we, we've moved past normal political rancor into a new era, it feels like. Well, we definitely have. Uh, although, frankly, uh, between when I left Capitol Hill at the end of 1996, and when I got back to Washington for a few years in 2006, just in those 10 years, we'd already gone a long way uh, from where we had been to where we are now. Uh, when I got back up there, I was amazed. I talked to top staffers or I would talk to congressmen and, you know, trying to ask what was going on with particular issues. And they'd, they'd start to give me an answer. And then I would that, you know, it's usually Republicans I was talking to, and I would say, okay, well, you know, what do the Democrats say about this? Can you get any Democratic votes? And they'd look at me like I was crazy, like, huh, what? You talk to the Democrats? And I'd say, <laughs> yeah, if you don't have have enough votes of your own, you need to go get their votes. And, and just the thought was dismissed out of hand as if it was ludicrous. Well, it's not ludicrous, or it should not be ludicrous, to say that even though somebody is of a different party, they might come your way on particular issues. But you don't know it unless you're in constant dialogue with them. And again, I could give examples, uh, plenty of examples from years past when it happened. It's not happening anymore. Well, just the phrase that I often use, I'll, I, I've, I've said over and over again that the Senate, in the Senate, the Republicans need to go over and arm wrestle and twist arms and, you know, deal and wheel and deal or whatever they need to do to get 10 Democrats to cross over to, you know, make it possible for them to fund the wall. That's something that used to happen. It, I, apparently, it is no longer something that can happen in this day and age. Like in 2019, you can't get 10 Democrats to come over. Although we seem to have a problem with our people defecting over to them for certain things. They don't have any that will come over to us. 
Well, exactly, and 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 part of it is the power of outside groups, and you know there are all sorts of causes. There's there's racially gerrymandered. I mean, not racially. There's uh, ideologically gerrymandered districts which are made you know more and more safe seats uh, than they were before. All sorts of causes, but. The result is exactly what you described. Let me let me give you an example, though, of how it should work. Okay. My former boss was Bob Livingston, who almost became Speaker of the House, but that's another story. He was a very strong, solid conservative. Uh, he served on the Appropriations Committee for years with a very liberal Democrat from Wisconsin named Dave Obey. When they were young congressmen, they they were so diametrically opposed on issues. And they were both so firm in it that they couldn't stand each other. And one time they literally almost came to blows. Uh, But they served together on that committee for 15, 16 years. And they started to realize that even though they disagreed with each other, both of them would deal straight with each other. Both of them would, would let everybody know why they stood where they stood and what might be negotiable, et cetera, et cetera, so that they developed a sort of a grudging friendship. So that when Obi became chairman of the powerful Appropriations Committee, only to one year later have the Democrats lose the majority and Livingston take over as the chairman, it was not a it was it was not a, a contentious thing. Obi left a little gift and a nice note in the chairman's desk when Bob came in. And even though they were on diametrically opposite sides in the next couple of years when Livingston was chairman, they would laugh together and work together, uh, you know, at least to keep things running smoothly, even when they were fighting over policy. That's how it should be. But you don't see that anymore. And it's really frustrating. It is. And you know what, Quinn, your, your description of those two gents reminds me of when I was on school board. Now, obviously, totally you know, different arena, but I was elected. All of us were elected onto school board. And going in, a lot of us already knew the politics of the other members. So it, it wasn't like we went in and thought, I have no idea what these people feel politically. We knew you know, where people stood. But there were a lot of issues on which someone could say, make a phone call and say, can we have coffee or can you have 30 minutes to talk to me on the phone? I got to lay some stuff out to you. And one-on-one, it, as people who both paid taxes in that district and maybe had children there or your children just graduated, whatever, you're invested, we could talk about things and come to a place where that person would say, you know what, I'll vote with you on this. I'm, you know, I'm not as diametrically opposed to it as I may have appeared originally now that I've talked to you. The understanding being that if they had something they really cared passionately about, they would come and explain it to me, and I would give it you know, serious consideration. So not a blanket, yes, I'll vote whatever you want one time, but you can come to me. You know, we're, we're on a working relationship. That happened a lot on school board where we would argue on one issue and be beating our hands on the table and you know, almost yelling and then vote. And then the next issue come up and we'd all be like lambs voting together or you know, yes or no. And that happened all the time. How do we get back to that kind of understanding between people that we're all living here together? We can't be enemies, full-blown enemies, if we're all still Americans. How can we get back there? Everything you said is exactly right, and that's how Congress used to operate, too. And look, I'm not 
some sort of middle-of-the-road squish. I'm a solid conservative. This is not a call to say, oh, conservatives should go and, and kowtow to liberals and, and always be the one to, to give up our principles or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if you talk to each other and respect each other and listen to each other and negotiate with each other, you can end up finding common ground where you didn't know it existed. You can decide that one issue you might give a little more on because it's not all that important to you, even though you just you totally disagree. Mm-hmm. But know that on another issue that it might be more important to you than to them, and they will in turn give a little more. That you have that mutual respect and sort of an un. It's an unstated balance where, you know, okay, I went with you last time. You might go with me next time, and I'll trust that, you know, I'll trust that that this sort of unstated debit and credit system will work. That's that's called acting like an adult. That's called working (laughs) through problems. And it's not just political. That's how we, that's how most of us live our lives outside of politics. So why can't they do that on Capitol Hill? Well, you mentioned just a, just a bit ago that there are these outside influences. And I remember, oh, let's see. So this is a vague memory, but it's definitely real because I, I remember Move On getting very upset, MoveOn.org getting very upset with some legislator who was a Democrat who crossed over the aisle and voted with the Republicans. And they, if I'm not mistaken, the online hatred was so vitriolic that that person either they didn't end up running again or that someone else ran and beat them. But it was, it was basically the end of what they were doing as a Democrat because move on basically said, you, you don't, we don't have any room for traitors. I've also seen online where regular people, some with blue check marks have said as much, you better not even think about going over there and voting with the Republicans because they're wrong. They hate America. They're trying to destroy this country. And so you can't ever have anything in common with them. You can't ever work with them. That's the rhetoric coming from the left. On the right, we do have people who are willing to move over. They're often called squishes. I'm just like you. I'm as hardcore on the right as I can possibly get. I understand why Lindsey Graham wants to make friends and try to work across the aisle. I feel like he's done it in ways that have hurt the party objectives, but I do get it. But they don't have anybody on their side like that because MoveOn.org and other groups like that won't let it happen. You're right, except that I do think that the groups on the right that do the same thing. Look, I am convinced that we would have a have had a full repeal and replacement of Obamacare uh, in 2017 if, for instance, Heritage Action had not uh, gone so firm with its Freedom Caucus members in the House uh, demanding an absolutely pure Obamacare repeal bill. And so what happened is conservatives lost the momentum there. The first time it came up, they couldn't get the vote, so they pulled it from the from the calendar. Uh, back when you know when Trump was still in his so-called honeymoon period, and by the time conservatives and Republicans regrouped and finally passed it in the House, they had lost all momentum, and the lay of the land had changed, and there was really very little chance of getting something through the Senate. Now, they almost got sort of a fake bill through the Senate, and John McCain killed it because it was fake. But they would have had a lot easier time in the Senate if the, if 
Heritage Action had not insisted that the original bill be absolutely pure. But mm-hmm. they put the fear of God into a lot of Republicans saying, if you vote for this 90% pure bill, you're never going to get elected as a Republican again. Well, that meant that nothing got done. And so we still haven't repealed or replaced Obamacare. That's, and the chance of doing it now is pretty slim. Bite your face and both sides do it. No, it, you're right. Yeah, I'm, that's a perfect example that's recent that still burns. Because I know uh, it comes up sometimes, Quinn, when I'm with my politically minded friends and we're sitting around talking and someone will say, yeah, remember when we were going to repeal and replace Obamacare? They said they were going to do that, too. It also adds some pessimism to voters where a lot of people don't think the wall can get done because Obamacare couldn't get done. And that was when Republicans had, quote unquote, control. So I, we're at the end of the segment here, and I'm, I'm going to put the link to your piece up. I know you're not advocating for squishiness, but for some semblance to a return to the, the adults running the show. I'm just feeling pretty pessimistic that that's not going to happen, because right now the Democrats want to, and they're obsessed with the removal of President Donald Trump. It's never going to happen. It's not going to happen, but because that is their primary thing that they get up and pour their coffee for every day, it's the reason why they, they're doing everything, it means nothing else can get done, and uh, well, that's a real let, shame. Let me jump in here and just say I've also got another column that said the Democrats are the ones being cynical on the wall, and just just to, to show that I definitely agree with you, right now the left is, is, is really quite guilty of this. And the wall is the perfect example. Please read that column as well, uh, because they they really are the ones that are that are being recalcitrant here. Mm, absolutely. Thank you so much for the columns and for the work that you're doing. I love reading your stuff. It's excellent. And thank you for your time today. First time we're speaking in the new year. Happy New Year to you. Thanks, Quinn. Happy New Year, Stacy. Thank you so much. All right. Talk to you again soon. Quinn Hillier, senior commentary writer for the Washington Examiner. I will put both columns that he mentioned up when we go to the next break here, which we'll get into in just a second. I want to, if you're just tuning into the show, we are still doing our pre-born. It's a week of partnership that we're doing here at American Family Association, American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And I just want to point out to you that this is one of the reasons why we exist to point people to the gospel and to partner with ministries like Preborn so that we can save lives. We're literally in the ministry field, in in the work workplace, doing what we can do uh, to show ourselves approved before the coming of our Lord. So I want you to partner with us. It's 877-616-2396. 877-616-2396. Can solid teamwork building principles apply to all of life? Here's Tony Dungy, author of The Soul of a Team, with today's Uncommon Moment. In my book, The Soul of a Team, S-O-U-L is an acronym, and the S stands for selflessness, which is defined as putting individual needs aside for the good of the team. In 2007, just before my final season as a head coach, the Colts drafted Anthony Gonzalez, a wide receiver from Ohio State. Because he wouldn't complete his studies until June, Anthony was unable to make off-season practices and minicamp. Not wanting his new teammate to miss out, Peyton Manning drove three hours to Columbus, Ohio twice a week so he could spend an hour going over the playbook with Anthony and another hour and a half throwing to him. He sacrificed his own time because that's what the Colts needed to be successful. 
Tony Dungy, best-selling author of The Soul of a Team from Tyndale House. More at CoachDungy.com. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. While Democrats obstruct the president and advocate for illegals, the Department of Defense is redirecting discretionary spending to fund border wall completion. This is excellent news because of the urgent need to stop 55,000 illegal immigrants from entering America every month. The influx represents a radical change to the very composition of the country. Over a dozen states have huge percentages of non-English speaking residents living and working, replacing American citizens. The burden to taxpayers is daunting. Each illegal alien costs 70,000 per year. That number increases the longer the illegal lives in America. In addition to redirecting federal discretionary funds, the president should work with governors to implement a tax on remittances to Mexico. It has already worked in other states and could become a significant source of revenue to offset the costs of housing the enormous population of lawbreakers. If illegal aliens are here to stay, make them pay their own way. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. Securing America. President Trump's addressing the nation tonight about border security. Over the weekend, he said he might declare a national emergency. Democrats, like New York Congressman Jerry Nadler, says if he does that, he better not try to build a border wall. We would certainly oppose any attempt by the president to make himself a king and a tyrant by saying that he can appropriate money without Congress. He was among Democrats, like Congresswoman Social Torres Small, who went to Alamogordo, New Mexico Monday to investigate the deaths of two Guatemalan children. They were in Customs and Border Protection custody. We've seen some improvements, but we still need to have medical equipment in all of our facilities in the most rural reaches of the border. Leon Wilmot is the sheriff in Yuma County, Arizona. Congress needs to get politics out of public safety, period. He said he's glad President Trump Trump is headed to the Texas border Thursday to engage with the Border Patrol. Jessica Rosenthal, Fox News. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. What I expect the president will do tonight is explain to the American people that we have a humanitarian and security crisis at our southern border. 60,000 people are now attempting to come into our country illegally every month. That's more than 2,000 a day. But what's unique about it, Hallie, and why the Washington Post has even called it a bona fide emergency, is because the vast majority of those people now are families and unaccompanied children, and it simply is overwhelming the ability of our Customs and Border Patrol to address it. And so the president will take those facts to the American people. He'll talk about the 17,000 people with criminal records that we've apprehended at our border. He'll explain the need not just to build a wall, which he's determined to do, but also to provide our border patrol with additional resources, humanitarian and medical assistance, new technology. But the Democrats need to come to the table and start negotiating. But tonight, the president will take that case to the American people. Uh, that's Vice President Pence speaking uh, about what is going to happen tonight. And he did a couple of interviews. And, of course, the, the mainstream media types tried to grill him. And they've been making a big deal out of statements by Sarah Huckabee Sanders about different numbers of people who have been apprehended. And I just I have one thing to say when people say, well, they said they, they got like 41 suspected terrorists or 41 terrorists on watch lists. And another, you know, but most of the other ones that they apprehended, they're on terror watch lists, but they're American citizens or they're citizens or they're they're green card holders or they're nationals or whatever. 
How many people did it take to pull off 9-11? How many people did it take to pull off 9-11? It was one guy over in the Middle East and then 11 of them here in the United States. So don't, you know, miss me with this idea that there just aren't, we got to keep the border open because we're only catching 41, you know, 41 terrorists. That's just not enough to justify building a wall. One terrorist crossing our border illegally is enough to justify building a wall because one terrorist shot up the Pulse nightclub and killed 49 people and wounded scores of others. One deranged lunatic in Las Vegas shot up a whole bunch of people at a concert. It doesn't take but one crazy individual bent on evil to do harm. And and if you say, well, we already have our own homegrown terrorists and we have rapists. So why do we need to import more? Why allow more of them to pour in here? One terrorist is too many. One rapist is too many. One murderer is too many. So if we have even one in this country that are already American citizens, that means we're all full up. We don't need any more crazy here. Thanks, but keep, keep it moving in another direction away from our border. It's so simple. We'll go to the phones and then we will get back to, I have um, the seven points that President Trump should make in his Oval Office address about the border. I've been saying he's going to address the nation from the border. He's actually going to address the nation from the Oval Office and then head to the border on Thursday. Uh, Randy, thanks for calling the show today. Oh, hello. hello. How's it going? Hello. Hey, pretty good. Uh, uh, first, I have to apologize for a comment I made a couple of weeks ago. Uh, my wife got on me for using the term looky here, looky here. <laughs> and she, has been on me ever since. Well, so, I mean, that, it's that not I, like people in my family don't say that, and I may have been known to say that every now and again. It's it raises eyebrows oh, around oh. here because I'm such a, a Nazi about the the, the grammar. But okay, well, yeah, you're good. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, she jumped on me about that one. Uh, but anyway, I, I think Trump's really an independent, and uh, and I, I think she he ought to just stick to his guns. And all these people that are coming across the border, they have a lot of health issues mm-hmm. besides mental health. And these people are sick, you know, and, and if they bring whatever they have to this country, we're going to be sick. Because mm-hmm. we're not, we're not prepared. We're not vaccinated for what they have. We don't it, even know what they've got. Exactly. And third, uh, I tried to call, call uh, Comrade Pelosi's office and Comrade Schumer's office, but... <laughs> Nobody wanted to uh, give out a number, and I couldn't. They, they didn't want to talk to you. They didn't want to talk to you. So, so I told uh, you know. I said you know I was going to tell you know I, I don't know if uh, Pelosi was at a resort or a, a psychiatric hospital over there in Hawaii, but she kind of needs help with both, you know, and take a break and everything. Okay, mm-hmm. well that's all I got to say today. Thank you for uh, not putting me on call block. Oh, thanks, Randy. Thanks for calling in. And good to talk to you. Tell your wife I said hello. <laughs> I, I, I want to point out that Nancy Pelosi chose to uh, vacation in Hawaii, which is actually one of the most expensive places in America to vacation, you know, just just to show you where her mind is. Um, she didn't take the poor man's route or the working man's route or she didn't say, let me go someplace, you know, in the heartland. And so I can bump into some regular Americans. She was just like, I'm going to Hawaii. 
because I can, because I'm rich, I'm worth, you know, millions, tens of millions of dollars. And so I'm going to head on out and do some things that I want to do and beans on you regular Americans with your crumbs from your tax cut that you're so excited about. Uh, so let's let's do one more call. Um, Mark in Ohio, thank you so much for calling the show today. Hey, how you doing? Doing good. Um, this thing with Trump tonight, I think it's just another example of him. He, he has a, this really good way, a great way, of drawing people out of themselves and showing who they really are. And he'll do that tonight if people bother to watch the rebuttals. I'm not going to. Mm. But I think he's doing two things. He's going to make his case logically to the American people. And most Americans, whether they're on the right or the left, are going to say, yeah, we got to lock the door and, you know, shut the door and lock it tight and bolt it, you know. But then these Democrats coming on board afterwards, he's going to let them just be there. He lets them get worked up. And when he makes a decision, they're at the breaking point. And I don't think they're going to be able to resist making, I'm sorry, fools out of themselves. Uh I I agree. You know, know, the other thing um, concerning Trump, I'm not saying I agree with everything he's done, but for decades, the the, uh, Republican Party has just become so wimpy. Um, And I think, you know, we've wanted people, we've wanted the Republicans to get back to their roots you know, to be constitutional. And, you know, instead of an elephant, we have got, I really believe this, we've got a mastodon in the White House. I mean, I really believe that. And I really hope that, you know, these, I know, I'm glad Ryan's gone. He's a globalist. Oh, I know. Hit the road. You know, all you globalists, get lost. And I hope, you know, the rest of these Republicans in there and maybe even some Democrats will wise up and say, doggone it, the country is dying. You know, if, if we follow these stupid liberal, or the country will die if we follow these stupid liberal agendas. But people need to just wake up and it's like, forget the globalism. It's, it's all it is is global communism. George Orwell warned about it and others. You know, and Trump, I tell you what, I am just, I'm so impressed because his work ethic, I'm just a blue-collar worker. I clean homes and businesses for a living. And the first couple months he was in office, I thought, I'm worried about the guy's health. But he's been doing it his whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a worker. Yeah, he's, he's been American. eating cheeseburgers, eschewing alcohol, and going to bed really late and waking up really early for his entire adult life. And I, I tell you what, that clean, you know, kind of regular man living seems to be very agreeable to him. A, a lot of us with our kind of, you know, uh, Whole Foods shopping, wine swilling types, we could, could probably take a few lessons from him. Um, I, I agree with you. He's he's strong. Um, I feel like the burden to pray for him is really where a lot of us, we have to, we have to do that. We have to pray for him. And you know what, Mark, tonight's the night, like tonight's the night he throws down the gauntlet. I believe the Supreme Court will uphold him uh, building a wall on the southern border in the absence of approval from Congress if it's a national emergency. And I believe it is 55,000 people entering illegally a month is a national emergency. Um, but I don't think he's going to declare it tonight. I think he's going to talk about it and lay out the case, and then he will declare the national emergency from the southern border during his visit if the Democrats continue on, which I think they will. Thank you so much for calling. Um, I love I love it when we get fantastic callers coming in. Thank you so much, everybody. Um, seven points Trump should make in his Oval Office address about the border. I'm sharing this with you because when I saw it this morning, I was like, yes, absolutely. So um, it's by Joel Pollack. I said it was by... Uh, Nolte, but it's by Joel Pollack. Uh, The border issue is about national security. He says, number one, the first priority of government. Americans are used to fights over immigration policy, but this is different. The nation faces a crisis at the southern border and the drug cartels are taking advantage. So the first 
point that he makes is there is literally no point to opening the government until politicians are prepared to take care of their first priority. Remember, we've talked about this on the show before. It's one of my running mantras. When people don't do their jobs, other people die. When Congress doesn't do their jobs, people die. Like the two Guatemalan kids that the Democrats care about. They don't care about your kids, but they care about the Guatemalan kids who died in custody. They died because the Democrats have not allowed us to build a wall and to close our southern border to illegal entry. That's a draw. It brings people here. It makes them drag their kids around across 1,400 miles of horrible terrain in 115-degree heat. The first victims of the Mexican cartels are the migrants and the countries from which they come. He describes how the cartels are brutal, slaughtering everyone, and pumping drugs into the United States. Literally enough cocaine. El Chapo, in four shipments, sent enough cocaine for every American, man, woman, and child, to do a line of cocaine here in this country. He did that in four shipments. These drug cartels are killing Americans. It's a war they're waging on us. And we're arguing about $5 billion. The border crisis has nothing to do with legal immigration, which we embrace. He says Corporal Singh gave his life to defend the rule of lie, the, the rule of law, to defend the rule of law. And that's what's at stake. And that's his point number three. Uh, point number four, illegal immigration hurts all Americans, but especially legal immigrants, minority, minorities and the poor. We can have a generous welfare state or open borders, but not both. Point number five, Democrats are hypocrites. Many Democrats, including Senate Schumer, I'm not even going to give him his whole title, Schumer and others have voted for border barriers in the past. Walls, fences, drones, border patrol agents, none of that is immoral. Number six, we have to act now because both parties, Republicans and Democrats, have failed in the past and they did nothing. And we can no longer wait. I go back to my previous point. When people don't do their job, people die. If a person is in charge of something of importance and they choose not to execute their duties as they are mandated to do, other people may die as a consequence of that dereliction. And those people who refuse to do their job should be held accountable up to the point of being responsible for those deaths. But since this is America and we're not doing that, we just get to talk about it. And number seven his point that he feels President Trump should make tonight, the seventh point, is let the engineers design a barrier that works. The wall should not be a Democratic or Republican issue. It shouldn't be a budget issue. It should be an issue of what barrier works in what part of the southern border. There are over 2,300 miles of border down there, and every bit of it cannot be covered by a concrete structure. In places where a concrete structure that goes five feet below ground and 15 feet above it in places where that would work, that's what we should have. In places where a smart barrier would work, that's metal and concrete, we should have that. In other areas where we just need patrols, human patrols, we should have that. We should have an increase in the number of judges. We should end chain migration. There are a lot of things we can do to stem the tide of illegal immigration into this country. But none of it can happen unless we have a president, commander-in-chief of the U.S. Armed Forces, the person who is responsible for everything that goes on in this country that has anything to do with the government or the military. That person has to have enough steel in their spine to stand tall against this. It's basically obstruction from the Democrats. And if the president holds his ground... There are more than enough millions of us Americans out here who understand what he's doing and want common sense reforms at our southern border and to our entire immigration system that he will be sailing into reelection in 2020. And so I always say I know the president doesn't listen to this show and I don't know what he listens to. I know he watches a lot of Fox, but I'll say this. This is the line in the sand that the president has to decide which side he wants to be on. He's already brought this issue to the forefront. We're all watching. 
and we want to be mobilized and ready to go for 2020 to support his reelection campaign. Forget about impeachment and the Russians. Forget about all of these other tertiary issues. We have to handle this border wall fight, and it has to be one that he wins. Tonight, I think, will be the opening salvo in that battle as he begins to paint a picture for the American people who have not yet heard him speak on the issue since he last was talking about the rapists and all of that. And I think if he comes out the same way he came out for Kavanaugh, uh, when he was swearing in Kavanaugh, the presidential gravitas he presented there, it will be a wonderful thing for us because we'll get to see a lot of Americans hearing him for the first time in that way and understanding how serious this is, which is why I encourage you. We still have hours until our president approaches the podium to address the nation. And I encourage you to lift him up in prayer. If you have not yet done so, just take a moment and say a prayer for him that he would be at his best tonight and that the people who hear him, their eyes would be open and their ears would be attuned to listen for the truth and that wisdom would prevail and that justice would not just run out through this country, but that it would overtake the evildoers and that they would get what their what 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 is their just due. And I'm not talking about, you know, when I say evildoers, this isn't a political thing. It's a rule of law thing. It's a right and wrong thing. It's a, hey, you're breaking the law thing, but you get away with it while that guy over there is going to the slammer. It's a equality under the law that justice is blind. It's an American thing. It's a jurisprudence thing. It's an Anglo-Saxon type of, you know, legal system type of a thing. It's everything that we've based all of our other laws and society, how we're going to deal with each other. We've based it all on that. Either our laws mean something or they mean nothing. We got to make a choice. So let's pray for the president. I hear the music. Good evening from the heartland for those of us who are leaving us right now. If you're sticking around, there's more Stacy on the right, right after onenewsnow.com news and information, which is up next. Keep it here.